growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. How foolish is it to think that you can run from God? I mean, who does that? Well, apparently, all of us. At one time or another, and usually more than once in our lifetime, run from God. Mention the name Jonah, and what do you think of? Most of us would say, the guy that got swallowed by the giant fish. Well, that's certainly what Jonah is most known for. But what do we know about Jonah? And even more important, what can we learn from Jonah? You don't have to be a bad person to run from God. Now, running from God is bad, okay? (laughs) No, bad, bad run from God. Running from God is bad, but you don't have to be a bad person to run from God. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today, we start a brand new series entitled, Jonah, Man on the Run. Most of us may be aware that Jonah was running from God, and he ended up in the belly of a giant fish. But how many of us know why Jonah ran in the first place? Jonah was a man of God. Jonah was listening to God. Jonah was one of the good guys. But good guys can turn and run from God at times in their lives. You don't have to be a bad person to run from God. Over the next four weeks, we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament book of Jonah to see what we can learn about our own lives and what happens when we run from God. As you're going to hear Pastor Clay say today, all of us run from God at one time or another, but as we're going to learn, that's a race we'll lose every time. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message. When I was a kid, uh, the shoes that everybody wanted was uh, this brand of shoe known as PF Flyers. Some of y'all remember those? Yeah. They had, this, uh, they had this slogan. Their slogan was, run faster and jump higher in your PF Flyers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was convinced that it was true. I, I was convinced that that when I put them babies on for the very first time, I was faster than the wind. And I know I was jumping higher than I had been jumping before. Don't make shoes like that anymore. And when I was, uh, I don't know, eight or nine, my next oldest brother, Ashley, I was with him one day. And um, you got to understand, Ashley always had kind of a rebellious streak about him. He just, he's always kind of been that way. But I was with him one day, and my dad comes up and tells Ashley to do something. And for whatever reason, Ashley looks at my dad, and he says, no. That had never happened before. There were, there were three boys in our family and, and one girl, and to the best of my knowledge, up to that point, no one had ever said that word to my dad, no, but Ashley did. Now, as soon as he said it, he, he knew he was going to be in trouble, right? So as soon as he said it, he turned to run. And, and I'm sure that Ashley was running as fast as he possibly could. But from my perspective, it looked as if he were running in molasses up to his waist, Because my dad was on him so fast, it was unbelievable. Didn't end well for Ashley. 
that day. There's this guy in the Bible in the Old Testament that had that same idea to run from his father, his heavenly father. His name is Jonah. It didn't end well from, for him either that day. If you've got your Bibles this morning with you, I'd encourage you to open them to Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, the entire chapter, which I'm going to read in a moment. The text is going to be up on the screen as well. But we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks looking at this fairly small book of the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice how that keeps getting mentioned. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots. Guess what? And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish 
three days and three nights. How foolish is it to think that you can run from God? I mean, who does that? Well, apparently, all of us. At one time or another, and usually more than once in our lifetime, run from God. It may not be as dramatic as as getting on board of a a ship and, and sailing in the opposite direction, but it's running just the same. Jonah ran from God, and so do we sometimes. Some of us have run in the past. Some of us will run in the future. And some of us may be running right now. As I said a moment ago, we're going to spend a few weeks in this book called the book of Jonah. We're going to look at this man on the run. We're going to expose some things about Jonah's life. We're going to explore some things about our God and what we learn in the book of Jonah. And hopefully, we're going to examine some things about our own lives and where we are in this relationship with God. Let's, uh, let's set a couple of uh, ideas down as we start uh, this morning. Just a couple things to keep in mind. You don't have to be a bad person to run from God. Now, running from God is bad, okay? (laughs) No, bad, bad run from God. Running from God is bad, but you don't have to be a bad person to run from God. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 opens like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, that's Bible talk for Jonah is a man of God. Jonah is a prophet of God. Jonah is a person that God speaks to or through to the people. That's primarily the way God did it in the Old Testament. He would have these, these uh, men that, that were his prophets. They would, they would get a word from him and they would bring that word to the people. That was Jonah. He's a man of God. As a matter of fact, um, 2 Kings chapter 14 Verse 25 tells us that Jonah correctly prophesied that during the reign of Jeroboam II, much of Israel's borders would be restored to them that had been taken away, and it would be a time of prosperity for them and for the nation. And it was. It was a great time of prosperity for that nation. And Jonah predicted that and it, because he received it from the Lord, and it transpired just like Jonah said it would be. Jonah, Jonah was a man of God. Jonah was listening to God. Jonah was one of the good guys. But good guys can turn and run from God at times in their lives. You don't have to be a bad person to run from God. Here's the second idea. You don't really have to go anywhere to run from God. Now, in, in Jonah's case, he did. Nineveh was about 500 miles to the east of Israel. And if most biblical scholars are correct on the location of Tarshish, Jonah is headed for Spain, about 2,000 miles to the west. He's running big time. But you don't have to go anywhere to run from God. Jonah did. Jonah headed in the opposite direction. Interesting thing about this, though, I was thinking about this. Jonah, right, he's one of the good, he's a prophet of God. Jonah knows God. 
right? I mean, surely Jonah knows God. Surely Jonah knows that you can't really get away from God. There's not really any place that you can go where God can't get to you. I think almost certainly Jonah would have had to have known David's psalm, Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, that say, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. Surely Jonah knows that he can't really get away from God. Now, I know I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, okay? But I've, I've given this a good bit of thought. And I'm, okay, I'm, maybe I'm taking a little bit of license here. But I really think that in Jonah's case, it wasn't about outrunning God. I think Jonah knows he can't do that. I don't think it's about outrunning God for Jonah. I think it's about outlasting God. I think that's what it was for Jonah. I think that Jonah thinks if he can get as far away from where he's supposed to be as he possibly can, well, then God will either change his mind or he'll get somebody else to do it. That's why I say you don't really have to go anywhere to run from God. All you have to do is not go in the direction that God wants you to go with your life. And it could be be something that God wants to remove from your life. It could be something that God wants to insert into your life. It could be some particular assignment that God has given you. It could be some particular person that God has has burdened your heart about about reaching out to. It It could be a whole bunch of different things. But you don't even have to go anywhere to run from God. You can even be sitting in church and running from God. So, why do we run from God? I mean, what, what compels us to run from God? I, as best I can see it, as best I can figure, there's really just one reason that we run from God. We don't like what God wants us to do. I mean, we can say, well, I, I'm, I'm afraid of what he's asked me to do, or I'm, I'm skeptical, or I'm not sure... It, so it all eventually comes back to my flesh, something my, my heart doesn't want to do, my flesh doesn't want to do, my mind doesn't, something that I, I just don't like what God wants me to do. God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was one of the capitals of the Assyrian Empire in that day. And the Assyrian Empire, okay, they are like, they are the Mac Daddy of their day. They are the bully on the block. They were a a godless, murderous, vile, merciless people. And God wants Jonah to go to them. Israel had already experienced some of their wickedness. And God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. This wicked, vile, murderous, merciless, godless people. And Jonah didn't like it. I can, uh, I can just imagine this conversation that Jonah has with God when God approaches him about the idea of going to Nineveh. You want me to do what, Lord? You want me to go to Nineveh? You want me to preach repentance? I don't want to preach repentance. I want to preach retribution. I want to preach fire and brimstone. I want to preach judgment. I want to preach it is coming down on you folks. It is over. You're done. I want to preach hell on them. God, you let me preach that message. I'm on the next camel out of here, headed for Nineveh. But grace, mercy, 
If you'll repent, forgiveness, no, uh uh-uh, no. No, no, I'm not going to preach that message. I'm quite sure that if God had said, I want you to go tell them, it is done. I'm bringing the hammer down on them. I think Jonah's like, show me the door. I am gone. I'm going to tell them. That's the kind of message that people sometimes want to. I was thinking about this, too. It reminds me of those, you know, you'll just have to forgive me if you don't like this. It's, it's, by the way, it's easier. I've learned it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. But um, it, it's, it's like those nut jobs out in the Midwest somewhere. I don't even know where they are. They call themselves a church, and, but they, they're not, they don't represent Christ. The, the, those people that go to people's funerals and hold signs up to say things like, God hates homosexuals. Listen to me. And we'll see this as, as we get further into it. But the book of Jonah teaches us as much about God as it does anything. And one of the things that the book of Jonah teaches us about God is that God doesn't hate homosexuals. God doesn't hate unmarried heterosexuals who are sexually active. God didn't hate the people of Nineveh. God hates sin. And he hates the destructive nature of sin. What it does to the temporal and eternal lives of people. That's what God hates. That's That's God's heart, to to redeem, to reach out to people. Now, does God judge unrepentant sinners? Sure, His holiness demands that. But the heart of God is for repentance. The heart of God is for forgiveness. The heart of God is for grace and for mercy. And Jonah didn't have that heart. And Jonah didn't like that message. And so Jonah wasn't going to deliver that message. No, uh uh-uh, I'm out of here. Maybe this is a good place just for us to to stop and ask that very question. God, am I running from you? Is there some area of my life that I'm running from you? Is there something that your word has exposed in my life? Is there something your spirit has spoken in my life? Is there something that that, that I know that is not right and, and shouldn't be a part of my life or that I know should be in my life or that I know I should be doing this or I know that you, you've burdened my heart about that and, and God, I'm not doing it. Am I running from you? Just because I don't like what it is that you've assigned to me? So, let's get to the the big picture biblical principle. The BP squared, as I like to call it. It's this. When you run from God, you'll lose that race every time. Every time. And I can even tell you why. The first one's going to absolutely floor you. He's faster than you. Oh, yeah. God is much faster than you. Jonah, Jonah gets, the, gets the word of the Lord. Jonah gets the message. Here's what I want you to do. Jonah heads, the other. Jonah heads down to Joppa, finds a ship going to Tarshish. Probably sees that as a good sign. That's a long ways away from where I'm supposed to be. Gets on board the ship. Apparently feels so good about it that he's able to go down into the hull of the ship in the midst of a raging storm and go fast asleep. Now, me, I'm puking my guts out. But this dude, he's fast asleep. You know, I was thinking about that too. I've been thinking about a lot of stuff. It is amazing how quickly we can become comfortable with being out of God's will. Have you noticed that? How comfortable, how quickly I can become comfortable with being out of God's will. He, apparently he's okay. He's down in the hole of the ship, sleeping away. Jonah heads to Tarshish. God sends a storm to stop him. Jonah goes to sleep in the hole of a ship. God 
apparently frightens these veteran sailors who I can assure you have been through a storm or two in their life, scares these veteran sailors so much that they go down to talk to this pastor, find out what the deal is. Jonah tries to fly under the radar. God causes the casting of the lots, basically like drawing straws, to fall on Jonah. What a surprise. Jonah even apparently would rather die than obey God on this, on this one. Because he said, just, th- just throw me in the water and it'll stop. Jonah knows this is God. He knows this is all about, he knows this is what God is doing. What God's, and, and Jonah's just, th- I'm just telling you, Jonah's thinking, well, I may die, but bless God, I'm not going to have to go down to them stinking Ninevites and tell them that God will forgive them if they'll repent. He'd rather die than do what God wants him to do. He probably wasn't planning on God sending a giant fish to swallow him. Dude! He's faster than you. Do that. He's faster than you. He's always two steps in front of us. Always. Oh, but you, you keep running. Maybe it'll work out better for you than it did Jonah. No, he's, he, he's faster than us. He, he really is. Um, some of you may or probably, probably wouldn't know the name Adoniram Judson. I've actually mentioned this story before. It's been a long time ago. Adoniram Judson was a, by all accounts, just brilliant young man. He was born in Massachusetts in 1788. Uh, his father was a pastor. He um, entered Brown uh, University at 16 years of age, graduated valedictorian of his class. While Adoniram Judson was at Brown, uh, he came under the influence of an upperclassman by the name of Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames was uh, what is known as a free thinker. Free thinkers are basically atheists. They don't believe in God, but, but it's a little farther than that. Not only do they not believe in God, they believe that, that promoting God or that religion in general is detrimental to our society. That, that uh, this Christian belief somehow, you know... Uh, just keeps us imprisoned in our mind, and we're not able to just just think freely about whatever. Adonai Judson came under Eames' influence. As a matter of fact, in his valedictorian speech, he spoke on, on free thinking. Well, after Adoniram graduated from Brown, he opened a school, going to teach uh, some subjects. Didn't work out too well. In a year or two, the school closed. So then he thought, well, I, I'm going to take some time. I'm still a young man. I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to travel and see some of the states. He was up in the Northeast, going to travel around and see some states. His, of course, early 1800s. And he stops one night at a roadside inn. I, I don't even know what state he was in. He stops at a roadside inn for the night. He gets a room. And uh, after he gets into his room, uh, he doesn't get a doesn't get a wink asleep that night because in the room next to him there is uh, a man obviously in horrific pain screaming and crying out and moaning and just uh, there's various reports about what all he was he was screaming and moaning out but but clearly this man was in that and this went on all night as as uh, Adam Judson tells the story this went on all night until just before dawn when it finally grew quiet in the morning, Adoniram Judson inquired about the man in the next room and his condition, and he was told that the man had passed away uh, early that morning. The man's name 
was Jacob Eames, Adoniram Judson's mentor and friend at Brown University. When Adoniram Judson heard that news, when he thought of the fact that he and his mentor, his friend who had so strongly influenced his philosophy about life, when he thought about the fact that they happened to end up in the same state, at the same inn, on the same night, in side-by-side rooms, and as, he, and as he discovered that this was his friend that was dying in the next room, it shook Adoniram Judson, as he says, to his very core. And he took that, all of that coincidence as, in fact, the providence of God moving upon his hand, moving his hand upon Adoniram Judson. Shortly thereafter, Judson returned home. He enrolled in seminary. He eventually became the first American-born international missionary. He spent his life serving in Burma, and that's a whole other wonderful account of his life and the providence of God. But he's faster than you, ladies and gentlemen. He's just faster. Which then brings us to the other reason you can't outrun God. He's got more love than you. Now, obviously we can see God's love for Nineveh, right? I mean, that's clearly on display here. As I said earlier, God doesn't hate people caught in some sinful lifestyle. He loves them and desires to to reach them and bring them to a place of, of brokenness and repentance over the sin, to draw them unto himself. Clearly, God had a greater love than, for Nineveh than Jonah had for God because Jonah wouldn't submit to God. And clearly, we all know Jonah had a deep hatred for Nineveh. By the way, we probably all would have agreed with him. They were a wicked people. We would have called it righteous anger. But the people of God have to have the heart of God. And as I said earlier, the heart of God is to draw people unto himself. He's got greater love than you. Yeah, he, he loves the people of Nineveh. He desires to reach them, sure. But let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you think that God was sitting in heaven saying, oh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Jonah won't go to Nineveh. What in the world am I going to do? How am I going to get the message to the people of Nineveh? How are they going to know about my love and then my forgiveness? Oh, what am I going to do? No, that's right. No. no. Do, do you know... It's a fascinating verse. You know, Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 40 that if we fail to declare him, that, he, that he's able to make the very rocks cry out. You see, it's not just God's love for Nineveh that's on display here. It's God's love for Jonah. And this may have been hard for him to get his mind around, and maybe it's hard for us to get our mind around this morning. But can I say this to you? Jonah needed Nineveh as much as Nineveh needed Jonah. Oh, you could see their sin a lot easier They were living in sin, but so was Jonah the moment he turned and ran from God. He was living in sin as well. And so God pursued. He's got more love than you've got. And he'll continue to pursue, which is exactly what he did. He continued to pursue Jonah across the ocean, through the storm, into the fish's belly, all of that kind of stuff. Because he's just got a greater love. But like I said earlier, you go ahead. Run, but he loves us. This is awesome. But God loves us too much to, to leave us in our disobedience. Do you know that? Not just the, the Nineveh of the world, not just the people that are, that are but us, those who, who would call ourselves the children of God, 
who have given our lives to Him. He loves us too much when we turn and run away from whatever it is He's got for our lives. He loves us too much to let us live in disobedience to Him. So, we got to leave Jonah in the belly of the fish. But fortunately for Jonah, God doesn't. And we'll pick that story up next week. But maybe this is a good place to stop and ask God, as I said, God, am I running from you? Is there some area of my life that I've not released to you? Something I'm holding on to? Something I've been unwilling to do? Am I running from you? And if so, maybe we just might want to pray, God, I've been running here. Would you forgive me? God, I, I've been ignoring your spirits. You've been speaking to me about this. Would you forgive me? God, I want to take off my running shoes because walking in obedience to you is much better than running away from you. Well, Jonah probably never dreamed he'd end up inside of a giant fish. But as we learned today, when you run from God, you can just expect him to come after you. As Pastor Clay pointed out, God's love means he's not going to leave us in a state of rebellion. When we run from him, we will lose every time. God is way ahead of us, and he's able to orchestrate circumstances designed to bring us to the end of our running. Next week, we'll look at chapter 2 and Jonah in the belly of the great fish. But as we can already see, walking with God is always better than running without him. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.